The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for joining us. Um, The topic today is museum and timeliness, and it it's not an easy show for me to do, uh, I will admit, I, but I feel so compelled. Uh, as you know, I've just gotten back uh, on to doing live shows uh, just a week ago uh, after taking a little bit of a, of a very needed personal break. After 200 shows, I was tired and, uh, and, and needed to refresh, and here I am refreshed, but even though the show last week uh, with Michelle Moon about food was absolutely a fabulous interview, and I hope that you all have a chance to listen to it because it's very important, I have to admit that there there were more heavier thoughts weighing on my mind. Um, it's no secret that the summer and, frankly, the last uh, year have been very difficult. As we listen to the television or get our news via the Internet and we see police being shot, we see uh, Alton Sterling, Philandro Castile, and yesterday a gentleman by the name of Charles Kinsey uh, in North Miami who was only trying to help a young man with autism was uh, was shot in the leg um, by police. So there are there are serious problems in our uh, in our world and it was not that long ago uh just about a year that uh i was talking with friends uh and colleagues about um the issue uh, occurring in Ferguson, Missouri with Michael Brown and wondering what the museum community was doing in response to these these serious uh, challenges. And you may remember a show that I did with uh, Gretchen Jennings and others talking about museums respond to Ferguson. And in fact, that hashtag uh, museums respond to Ferguson has continued to be a lively conversation on Twitter about uh, the concerns of uh, the time as also the uh, things that museums can and should 
be doing about that. And there were, at the time, um, some almost, to some of us, very frustrating statements uh, being made about, well, you know, perhaps our, you know, my museum's mission that focuses on caring for a collection really doesn't extend to popular or, or popular issues, Popular maybe is not the right word, but issues of the time, social issues of social justice. And while we continue to wrestle with these things, um, I just, Twitter is great. Uh, and I enjoy the conversations, but I crave for personal dialogue. So I have been lucky, I'm very lucky to have um, met two wonderful new friends for doing, from doing the show. You will recognize both Omar Eaton Martinez uh, and Brenda Tyndall who have been on the show before. I've also had an opportunity to work with them both uh, in developing and planning for the Museum and Race uh, Symposium and uh, program at AAM this past spring. And it is my pleasure to welcome them both back onto the show today to, as my dear uh, friend and mentor David Carr used to say, think with me. Think with me about our future as individuals, our future as a country, and the role that museums are and can be playing uh, to help us understand uh, and heal. And so let me, uh, before I welcome both guests, let me uh, just remind you, Omar Eaton Martinez uh, recruits and manages more than 200 interns and fellows at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. And he conducts presentations to various stakeholders to increase access to the Smithsonian. Omar has developed partnerships with educational institutions and non-governmental organizations, and he's involved in creating uh, papers on diversity and inclusion at the museum uh, and consults with the director, John Gray. Uh, He is also very involved in strategies for diversity recruitment uh, in certain positions at the museums, and he participates in many committees uh, through the, uh, the Smithsonian and also through AAM. Brenda Tyndall, is at the Levine Museum of the New South in Charlotte. And uh, while, and I want to congratulate Brenda in just a matter of days. She will graduate from Emory University with a PhD in history and culture. Uh, and so, Brenda, thank you so very much uh, for taking the opportunity to do extensive uh, advanced studies and then choosing to take that work and apply it back to the museum field. We are all richer for your your studies and for your research. Uh, and so welcome both of my friends uh, to the show today. Thank you so much, Carol. So, um, I wanted to just start out today um, just by asking both of you uh, to reflect back um, perhaps over the last year on the 
impressions that you are are getting from uh, our museum community uh, compared to, say, the fall of 2014 after the challenges uh, and uh, and demonstrations and unrest in Ferguson um, after uh, after that horrific killing and um, some of the discussions that that we've had about you know museums and and uh, various discussions with museum professionals about uh, the issues. Uh, Related to what what museum what role museums should have and and Omar I'm going to start with you if you wouldn't mind. Sure, um, I think what's been happening has been pricking a lot of us um, in ways that maybe we didn't anticipate. I know for myself, um, as a, a, a black Puerto Rican man who uh, works in a predominantly white institution. Um, there's always things that we're dealing with in terms of, of microaggressions and and um, and just sometimes very rough uh, communication amongst colleagues and even sometimes external stakeholders. But when it comes to these things that have plagued us through the news and through social media, things become very heightened. Um, things become uh, maybe even more polarized depending on what your experience is. And so then you have to come and dig deeper and find new ways to engage even, you know, amongst your own colleagues about these certain issues. I think the easy go-to is, you know, we just don't talk about this. You know, we just, you know, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. We kind of go through that traditional route of deflection. Uh, But when you start to get bombarded with these images and these stories and these polarizing stances, um, it's very difficult to ignore. And um, I think one of the things that I always try to engage my colleagues, and especially the interns and fellows that I, that I work with, um, is that, you know, the idea that this just started happening after Michael Brown is probably the most sickening mm-hmm. feeling that I get because I feel like, you know, people, and, and you know, everybody has watershed moments, but... Um, But, I mean, this has been happening for a very long time. What happens is that it's been invisibilized. Um, It's been silenced. And now through social media and through through the way that social media gives agency and license to everyone through their cell phones and otherwise, now these these stories have been illuminated. And, And it forces people to engage in ways they did not expect. And I think that's really that's really been the most uncomfortable feeling because I don't think people anticipated being forced into these conversations and not really having um, the proper tools or even establishing the proper culture to communicate those feelings to one another in a way that's edifying to both parties. That's very interesting, uh, very thoughtful, uh, Omar. Uh, <clears throat> there are many things I, I'd like to follow up with, but before I do, Brenda, I'd like to get you into the conversation. What have what have your experiences been? Yeah, I think I um, I share um, similar sentiments um, in many ways. Um, the relentless cycle of uh, police-involved shootings, um, in particular. Um, and the broader issues around gun violence um, and militarization has, uh, you know, deepened, I think, the discontent and frustration um, since Ferguson. Um, certainly the uh, back-to-back and highly publicized episodes in, in Baton Rouge, in Minnesota, in Dallas, 
um, coupled with an increasingly uh, divisive political climate and international unrest, really distills a deeper sense of uncertainty and discord um, when I compare 2016 to 2014. Um, But, Omar, you pointed out something that I think is so critical, that um, what we're witnessing right now in terms of um, this very sort of precarious sociopolitical moment is a trope in the American experience. That is to say that what's happening right now is not happening um, in a vacuum, um, that that it's part of a much larger historical narrative um, uh, that surrounds sort of the caustic relationship between um, police and urban communities. Um, and one could point to the Watts riots in, in the 60s. Um, one could point to what happened in L.A. in the 90s as just important touch, touch points um, in the story um, of um, police-involved um, shootings um, and urban um, unrest. And so I, um, I want to emphasize the, the sort of historical um, gravitas um, of these contemporary um, events. Um, and so I, I share in Omar's um, sentiments about, you know, sort of the, the deep um, concern um, that we have, certainly in, in terms of the lived experience, um, but the much longer story that these episodes um, of, of, of violence, of um, caustic relationships between um, urban, urban communities um, and police um, are are part of a again a much longer uh, narrative um, historical narrative um, yeah it's troubling no I'm I am I'm really glad uh, that you brought brought that up too Brenda and and to be honest I think that that's one of the reasons that I am finding this uh, this particular period of history just so so very very sad. Uh, and and I uh, will get to this a little bit later, but personally, I I have uh, it's taken me a while to really name that I am in a period of grief, and I think for me, part of it is that I was alive. I was was a child, but I was alive um, during the period of those the riots that you talk about, uh, also in Detroit and Newark. I then um, when I began my mu- museum career at the Newark Museum about um, uh, 15, 20 years after those those riots, the physical and emotional and mental scars were still there. Uh, the riots were a touch point uh, uh, in those in those cities, and uh, I do do feel that um, there there was a strong desire uh, on the part of the white populace, in particular, and the and the powerful populace, to you know, we kept saying, well, we'll just move beyond. But I think what what you're bringing up too is that. Well, we didn't really move beyond. We just sort of moved it under under the rug a little bit, and this is a, a new cycle. Uh, but for those of us who did live through it, it's like any traumatic experience. One trauma just sort of uh, resonates with another trauma, and it deepens that that concern and and um, almost paralysis. Mm-hmm. So. I'm wondering, Omar, I'd like to get back to a statement that you made, too, that, that it, uh, if I can characterize, it's as if the situations that have happened, particularly as they have been played out uh, by social media, 
have forced people and uh, within institutions, within families, within other organizations to face issues that that they didn't want to face, um, and they're not in a in a way they they don't have the tools to face them and either, even grapple with them. Is that, uh, is, is that what I'm understanding you to say? I think to a degree. Um, I think what's happening is that it happened, all, these, all this bombardment of, of images and Facebook posts and tweets and things like that come at such a high level. I mean, in every tragedy that has happened within the last six months, if I go on my Twitter feed, I'm sometimes, you know, when I hear, when I see the first tweet about, you know, Philando Castile, you know, and I, and I see something compelling, you know, and I'll, 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 I'll retweet it. And then I go down my Twitter feed and I find myself retweeting, retweeting. Before I know it, I've retweeted like 20 tweets, right? So you're getting this sort of bombardment of this, of, of what's happening. And, and I don't think that we have necessarily the capacity to take all that in because what it does is causes an emotional response that not all of us are ready to deal with. And sometimes we're looking at these tweets when we're on break or whatever at work or we're at lunch or something like that, and we're looking at these tweets, and then that affects your emotions and how you have to carry on for the rest of the day. And I don't think that we've always um, t- took that into consideration and how that maybe even affect how we how we uh, move forward in our museum practice on a day-to-day basis is dealing with these types of issues. But one of the things that um, when you were saying about your experience, you know, uh, and, you know, what happened in, in, in the 60s, is this even the language that we're using uh, in terms of, you know, a word like riot versus a word like uprising. And, and how do we even start to deconstruct what those things mean? And, and, because one word has been used sort of traditionally to describe that type of event, um, it's sort of been um, internalized as one as uh, as something that's negative or something that's really you know really bad. And of course, when you, anybody's you know getting into something violent or, or destroying property, that's a negative thing undoubtedly. At least from my from my standpoint, it is. But then we don't take the time to understand how this is an uprising. This is an answering to people being oppressed and devalued decade after decade, uh, generation after generation. And one of the, one of the questions I had, I had posted um, in Facebook uh, a, a while ago, uh, maybe about a couple of weeks ago, was like, in a country that has a history of devaluing blackness, how is it that people still infer that Black Lives Matter means Black Lives Matters only as opposed to if Black Lives Matters too? Right. So even yeah. thinking about that and how um, how people responded with hashtags like all lives matter and blue lives matter and things like that. Um, how where does that come from? It's because we haven't taken the time to to really, you know, sift through the historical significance of all these happenings and how do we make meaning of it today in today's society interact in something like a museum space or even in our everyday lives. And so I think it's really crucial that we really start to um to look at the histories and look at the and how every last community is really impacted by this because then you have certainly you have a lot of uh, you know there's people who are white who have been killed by police who you know we're not hearing as much about those stories as well you have our native brothers and our Latinos you know who have been who have who have been dying at the hands of police who are unarmed 
and we're not hearing about that as much either. And so how do we start to even look at the things that we see in social media and prepare ourselves to look at those things critically so that we're unpacking them and getting the whole story? Thank you, uh, Omar. So, uh, and, and thank you for reminding me uh, again about language in such a gentle and thoughtful way. I appreciate that very much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, more with uh, Omar and Brenda, uh, and I, I hope you as well. So stay tuned. We will be back talking about uh, the issues of the day and uh, our, our role as museum professionals. So stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today I am talking with Omar Eaton Martinez and uh, Brenda Tyndall. We're talking about uh, the issues in our world, in our country that are facing us today, uh, related to that are showing us uh, the the tensions um, uh, between uh, the races, uh, white and, and people of color, and how we as museum professionals uh, can and uh, should and are able to address these issues within our pre- professional capacities. But we really started out the show uh, being, I think, pretty open and candid uh, with ourselves and each other that, uh, as Omar was saying, uh, you know, 
if you're listening, you know, looking at the, reading the tweets and retweeting and uh, becoming immersed in the issues of the day, it's difficult to break away and not uh, uh, have those influence our our uh, our museum activities, our relationships with others in the in in our institutions, and and just um, you know affecting the way we're able to do our job. So uh, it. One of the questions I wanted to ask both of you, and Brenda, I will uh, uh, start with you this time, is how can we all, uh, but particularly I think people of color, uh, how how can we care for ourselves? I think that's a, a very important question. I think, for one, we have to honor um, our individual and collective emotions um, because I think... It, the, the, the uncertainty of what is happening in our world is affecting us in different ways. Um, and we have to honor whether it's anger, whether it's, you know, sadness. I mean, grief takes many forms, and so we have to honor that first and foremost. But I do think that there are um, constructive ways that um, as a community, um, uh, as people of color, um, can really... Um, um, you know, deal with the emotional toll um, that I, I, we're sort of facing right now. Uh, he, for me, um, I really do rest on the laurels of um, the important tools that um, the Levine Museum of the New South um, has afforded um, not only the folks that work here but our community. Um, we've always been very intentional about tackling, you know, tough issues and topics that are um, relevant in the contemporary moment, whether it's about race and difference or sexual orientation and gender expression, immigration, um, you know, uh, police-involved shootings, etc. cetera. Uh, but we, we try to balance that um, with an, an equal investment in sort of adding historical perspective um, and mediating provocative conversation um, through an objective lens. And that's a laborious job. It's, it's hard to be objective, you know, in times of um, great distress and concern. Um, but in doing so, you know, we've been able to cultivate programs and exhibits that I think reflect um, a, a deep engagement, um, a, a deep emotional intelligence, um, and really leverage our resources and expertise as a dialogic museum and create opportunities for both um, virtual and on-site community um, conversation. And so for us, dialogue has been um, quite cathartic um, and an impactful mode of sort of cross-cultural and multi-generational community engagement. Um, and, and in many ways, I think it's revealed so much to us um, as um, as a community of museum practitioners, um, as it has to the communities that we serve. And so for me, I find something incredibly cathartic and incredibly um, um, hopeful um, in the ability to bring people together um, in these moments of contention. Um, that, for me, um, helps me uh, make sense of these critical times. Um, and so, for me, it's, it's really about facing our truths, being honest about who we are, honoring um, those um, real emotional realities, and figuring out constructive ways to um, bring, you know, diverse hybrid groups of people together so that we can create um, some community 
understanding uh, around this issue. Uh, like, it's about being productive rather than counterproductive. Um, and so I, I really do rely a great deal on um, the, the museum that I work for is just so phenomenal at creating a platform for our community to have difficult conversations in a constructive manner. And that has been most impactful and helpful for me, and I think equally um, impactful for our community, for Charlotte. Thank you, Brenda. That, that's, uh, that's, that's good to know and helpful to know. And I'm reminded, too, of something that Melanie Adams of the uh, Missouri Historical Society uh, uh, said um, uh, after when I interviewed her about uh, some of the things that that institution was doing and helping the community after, uh, after Ferguson. And that was, they didn't wake up one morning after Ferguson and say, gee, we need to do something. You know, that they were able to uh, provide a platform for the community because they had been, been building relationships over, uh, over many, many years, uh, not anticipating a strata- uh, uh, such a tragedy, but simply as a course of doing uh, their their job as, as they saw it as being a, a part of the community and it sounds as if that that is something that the Levine Museum had was was predicated on and has continued to develop and that's why it it seems from an outsider that it's it's been a little I don't want to use the word easier but um, a, um, a logical extension of the work you do Absolutely. And, and I don't want to underestimate the, um, the critical role that the, the greater Charlotte uh, community and the civic um, community um, has um, contributed. Um, because right after, um, you know, that, that sort of um, a number of events, those three events in a row, you know, Dallas and, and uh, Baton Rouge and Minnesota, I mean, our community really mobilized itself. Um, and there were no less than... 20 to 25 vigils in a matter of two days, Um, dialogues being um, conducted. I mean, those things help tremendously, and it ensures that we don't go into these silos um, and and deal with our emotional grief um, alone. I think knowing that you are part of a chorus of people who are um, as deeply affected um, has the potential um, to be both um, helpful in terms of processing, um, but also it, 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 it restores your hope in um, community um, and the importance of that in, in sort of traversing these very difficult and critical uh, moments. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all, all of that. And I think good advice uh, for other institutions and individuals who, who are grappling with this. Omar, what, what are, are you doing personally and what uh, perhaps is, is, is your organization uh, or some of the other organizations that you're involved with? How are you taking care of yourself? Personally, I pray. Um. I consider myself a man of faith, and um, I take it to God. Um, I I go to the Bible, and I gain a lot of uh, strength and hope from doing that. Uh, I meditate on those things, and it helps me move forward. Because what I remember, um, as far as you know, Omar is concerned, is that. 
when I make decisions, I make decisions um, that are spiritual and eternal, right? Um, that these things that are happening here, as horrible and as ugly as they are, are temporal. Uh, these things don't last. Um, and, and so it helps me kind of gain some balance. It doesn't solve all my issues, but it helps me gain balance and perspective of what is happening. But in more, uh, I guess, uh, more practical sense in terms of dealing with colleagues, we, we stay in constant conversation about it. Um, there's even a group, uh, and I haven't been as, as active as I would like to, but there's, I know that for a fact that there's a group of men, um, and, and a black man in particular, in, in my museum to get together for lunch and talk about these issues. And they talk about it in a real way that allows them to be open and honest and, and concerning about, you know, how do they deal with this every day? How do they deal with this with their sons um, and daughters? Um, and, and, and because, you know, we, we definitely, this issue can sometimes get very gendered. Um, and we understand that, uh, unfortunately, both, both genders are in, are, in, are in danger in a lot of these situations. Um, how do we keep those things in perspective? Um, and then, of course, you know, this conversation, how does our institution respond to these types of things? You know, we try um, to, we're a federal institution. Um, you know, we are funded largely by, um, by the federal government. Um, and we are tasked to remain as objective as humanly possible, right? There's no perfect thing, but, I mean, we try to remain objective as humanly possible. So how do we address these issues? And I think um, that type of conversation happens organically, informally, and then maybe formally through some of our um, some of our units at the Smithsonian have diversity advisory councils. Um, I know ours at American History, we definitely, you know, talked about issues like this. And I think where it's rooted um, is, is how do you value a human being? How do you value a human life? We talk a lot about civil rights. We talk about diversity and inclusion. Um, but I think what, what I'm getting a lot of hope from is now we're talking about human rights. Which to me adds a much more, it's a much deeper conversation than just saying civil rights. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the value of human life and how do you value human life? And where does this irrational fear come from, uh, from, from, you know, the state in terms of how they decide to police black and brown bodies? Um, where does this irrational fear come from sometimes within our own community? You know, because we, if we dig deeper, there's certainly issues of colorism within, within black and brown communities as well. And so how do we deal with that, you know? Um, so I think constant conversation and then, you know, everybody has their own personal ways of dealing with, with grief and sadness. And so those are the things that I've uh, decided to do. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Omar. Um, I'd like to bring into the uh, the conversation a little bit. I would be we would um, be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't share uh, it, several of the many or other organizations that have been um, talking about this subject and providing uh, dialogue, including uh, the uh, um, well, the the Inclusium, uh, the uh, 
uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, museums respond to Ferguson. There's a new hashtag uh, that I've just uh, started to follow, and honestly, I don't even know who started it, which is Museums Respond. Uh, the American Alliance of Museums has, has also begun to participate in this project uh, programming uh, a little bit more. Uh, Omar and Brenda, I know you were both involved in um, at various times in the museum and race uh, programming the uh, the uh, conference that uh, started uh, this winter in um, early February that then culminated or at least the next extension public extension was the uh, was a uh, sort of a, a, a side conference uh, that the American Museum uh, uh, American Alliance of Museums uh, supported uh, strongly in um, at our and our national convention in Washington this past spring. I, I wonder if if both of you could just reflect a little bit about you know now. Uh, that organization and, and its goals and objectives uh, in light of everything that's that's been happening uh, in the, the recent months. Uh, uh, Omar, can, I know you were you were uh, were there in in Washington and participated in some of those activities. Uh, has have. I I just like you to reflect on some perspective. Is is or is it too soon to have any perspective on 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 that uh, that activity? No, I, I don't think it's too soon. Um, we had uh, we had planned uh, for the gathering. You know, I think we decided after the convening in Chicago, maybe less than a month after, um, which would put us around you know mid to late February that we were going to have a focused effort um, at AAM. Uh, we called it The Gathering. And uh, so we we got together and we decided, you know, with Alethea Whitman and Daryl Fisher sort of taking the, the lead in terms of the coordinating of, of The Gathering and a bunch of us, you know, supporting and um, pitching in uh, to make sure that we had you know, sessions and we had people who were coming and we were engaging other powerful organizations, um, you know, organizations like Museum Hugh, organizations like, um, you know, the, it, I consider it to a, at least to a, some degree that, you know, Museums Respond to Ferguson is an organization that has such a powerful voice uh, from Aaliyah Brown and Adrian Russell. They do great work. Museum workers speak with Alyssa Greenberg and and engaging all these other uh, organizations that have really been giving so much voice to a lot of the issues that we were concerned about that we brought about through the Chicago convening. And um, one of the things that was really interesting was that we were very concerned about being able to, uh, you know, support a uh, hundred, 150 people, which is what we were sort of planning for, or, you know, somewhere in that area, uh, maybe at 200 we had considered at one point. And, you know, logistics uh, were very difficult because we had a short time to, to sort of plan for it since it was in May and we decided to take it on in February. Um, that the day of, you know, we found out that, you know, basically 400 people were wanting to come, you know, and uh, which was overwhelming. But, you know, overwhelming in a way that was um, was wonderful in the sense that, you know, there are all these museum professionals that were so interested in talking about museums and race. 
Um, it was wonderful in, in the respect that we were able to give agency and access to professionals who have not otherwise been able to engage in these conversations because they didn't have the capacity to register fully in AAM. Um, and it was wonderful just to see people from all walks of life who identify in different intersections come together to talk about this. But what was difficult was that, you know, we didn't quite prepare her for that many people um, to come into that space. And so, you know, we weren't able to serve everyone in the way that we would like have liked to. So we had a survey that went out shortly afterwards. We were able to get it out to people to get their responses about, you know, what worked, what didn't work, suggestions and things of that nature so that, you know, if we decide to take this on again, which we're hoping to, uh, to do it in St. Louis, um, that we can, you know, fix those things and create an environment where people are truly, you know, edified and people are truly, um, you know, engaged. I think one of the big, um, one of the big things that we walked away from, Carol, was that when we designed um, the sessions that, we could do a better job in providing descriptors where people can kind of self-select into a level of by a level by way of a level of understanding. Like some people were just engaging in this conversation for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And so they come in there and they have certain expectations. Then there are certain people that may have just started this maybe a year, a couple of years ago, and have done a couple of things, but still definitely have a learning curve. And then there's some people who have been grappling with this all their life and all their career, whether they're younger or older, they've been grappling with this. And I would sort of put them at this, you know, advanced level, right? And so I think when we, when we, when we tackle this again for next year, those are the types of things that we are looking at changing so that when people come in, they're coming into a session they can actually glean from. And so what you don't want is to have somebody who is just kind of digging into this and getting into a real advanced conversation where people are using terms and sharing things that may not, they may not fully understand just yet. And you certainly don't want people who have been doing this work for a long time and grappling with these things for a long time and then coming into something that's sort of just introductory. And so those are the things that we've been looking at. And I think um, where we have, um, we have started to tackle some of these issues and I'm part of the steering committee now, uh, along uh, with uh, you know, Joanne Jones-Rizzi and Margaret Karuyama and Gina Diaz, and uh, we're already going to, we're planning to meet with uh, Laura Lott, um, you know, hopefully within the next 30 days to see how we can get together and, um, and revamp this for 2017. That's great. That, thank you, Omar. That's that's uh, very interesting and and very insightful. Uh, uh, and that you were able to do all of that so quickly is is truly amazing. And now can plan for the future. We're going to take a, a second quick break, and when we come back, uh, more with uh, with Brenda and Omar. And I uh, hope I have found this conversation very helpful and uh, healing, uh, beginning to heal. So thank you both for being on the show and also for those of you who are listening. Stay tuned. There's uh, more to come. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I have been talking today with Omar Eaton-Martinez and Brenna, Brenda Tyndall uh, about uh, the issues uh, that face our world today, uh, about uh, race and the relationship uh, with museums and race and our responsibilities. And Brenda, I want to get you back into the conversation. I know you too were involved in the museum and race planning uh, as part of that uh, that core committee. It sounds as if uh, you were not able to attend some of the sessions in Washington, but I know you're going to be very involved in the future as this uh, this important organization uh, moves forward and will provide uh, many resources for the museum community. But I wanted to... Uh, give you an opportunity to share uh, anything you'd like about that, but also to help us understand uh, some of the particular things that the Levine Museum of the New South is doing, because I think that they will provide uh, uh, examples that other museums can follow. Absolutely. Um, uh, museum practitioners, um, as Omar pointed out, and as you've you know emphasized, Carol have certainly um, been mobilizing and responding um, to these critical issues, and and really are, are are deeply committed to sustained conversations and deliverables that we hope will really address those societal issues. And um, the Levine Museum of the New South has certainly uh, been part of that important work. Um, what we decided to do um, a- as a way to sort of kick out, kick off um, sort of some initial conversations around um, this summer's um, episodes of police-involved shootings as well as the episode, um, um, the shooting at Pulse 
nightclub um, was to do a tweet chat um, that would provide our virtual um, um, community an opportunity to begin engaging um, in that conversation. And um, based on those responses, um, it it helps us develop other programming um, that um, follows up, if you will, um, to encourage a more sustained um, engagement with this topic. I mean, it's so important to have these sustained conversations um, in part because we don't want to, um, you know, um, seem inauthentic um, and um, inauthentic to our deepest concerns around this issue by having sort of one-off programs. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's an issue that we can't even avoid. I mean, every day that we wake up, there is an episode that is, is tugging at our conscience. And that is, is asking us to, to ask our community and to ask ourselves some real critical questions about where we, where we stand. And so Levine Museum has, um, you know, really committed to developing a, a complement of sustained virtual um, and on-site programs um, that includes the tweet chat um, and will be followed up with panel discussions and film screenings and small group dialogues and just opportunities for our community um, to come together um, and really, um, you know, tackle some tough issues. And, it, I mean, it, it, we have to start somewhere. Um, and so um, the, the, the great thing is we're not necessarily um, creating um, um, the will, if you, if you will. I mean, we, we really do have, I think, some very useful platforms that we're already exercising that are very much part of our DNA um, part of that being um, our dialogue um, program, um, but also, um, you know, films and, you know, um, conversations, panel discussions with um, civic leaders, activists, and, and, and folks that are um, contributing to our community and helping to move the needle on um, critical um, issues um, in Charlotte and in the region. And so in that regard, um, we see ourselves as being part of a very robust um, group of cultural and civic leaders who are deeply invested in being um, responsive um, to what's happening um, um, in in our world and and certainly um, in Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte is not immune. I mean, we we experienced our own episode of police-involved shooting shooting um, with the Jonathan Farrell um, incident. And so this is something that's very close to our hearts um, because we have that lived experience, but because it is a human rights issue, as, um, as Omar pointed out. And I cannot emphasize enough how hard it is to be inundated with the, the very hyper-visibility of this kind of um, violence. These are really scary times, and so we have to figure out constructive ways as an institution and as an individuals um, to really grapple with it um, and really make sense of, of, of how, how do we move forward. And so one of the questions or sort of the thematic organizing principles of our tweet chat was, you know, chaos or community, you know, really drawn upon Martin Luther King's, um, um, you know, sort of ideas around um, dealing with the critical issues of the civil rights movement. And, and for us at the Levine Museum of the New South, we're invested in community. We choose community rather than chaos. And so we have to be very proactive 
at having those conversations um, and asking uh, questions in a way that it will so, uh, it will elicit the, the kinds of um, productive dialogue and outcomes that we desire. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Brenda. Those are those are really important. Uh, again, important considerations. Uh, I'm. I hope that others that are listening can take hope and courage from that. I'm. Uh, as I said to you both during break, one of my fears is that these these kinds of situations that are so in the news, that are so uh, emotional, can not only uh, lead to polarization, but I think within a, a, a museum can lead to paralysis. Maybe it's people don't know what to do, uh, they don't have the infrastructures uh, that, the, that your organizations have, whether they're formal or informal. And I'm wondering, um, just in the last couple of, of minutes, if you could each perhaps share one uh, suggestion that, that organizations could do to help them uh, move uh, and and uh, both heal within their organization and perhaps begin to help uh, become a healing um, uh, place for their communities. Omar, do you want to tackle that in the Jeopardy round, quick? All right, I'm going to ra- I'm going to try to rattle these. I was preparing for this one, so I'm going to try to rattle these off. Um, so, one of the things that um, that I really find a lot of power in is what uh, Monica Montgomery has done with the Museum of Impact. Uh, so the Museum of, of, of Impact um, has answered uh, the call to talking about these issues, uh, this continued violence against black Americas and, and, and the rise of all this activism um, has always been, you know, something that this is important to her, it's important to her and Stephanie as, as co-founders of Museum Hue, but specifically the Monica's project, the Museum of Impact, where she has, where she was able to engage with communities and, and organize these pop-up exhibitions so that people can express themselves as a community in an exhibition format, I think are really, really amazing. And I think it, it gives voice to uh, to communities of color, but also I think it does a really good job giving, giving voice to the younger people, which is always a generation that I'm I'm very sensitive to, as a former K through teacher and a K through twelve teacher and a father of four. Um, I also wanted to um, bring to light what happened um, during AAM with the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American um, Centers Cross Lines, where they um, they had some incredible. Uh, exhibitions that were interactive engaging that dealt with difference, race, uh, the intersections of religion, um, ethnicity, and, and all kinds of intersections that were just really incredible. Um, also wanted to bring to light some of the collecting that has happened. Um, I know um, over in African American history and culture, I know Aaron Bryant has been very active uh, collecting around social movements, in particular Black Lives Matter. And then in my own museum, in American history, um, I'm really happy to say this afternoon we're hosting a public program called Shared Legacies, which talks about the history of black and Jewish civil rights alliance. And so bringing these, um, these speakers, these scholars, these activists to these, these museum spaces 
and creating um, the Smithsonian Institution into what um, our, our Secretary, Dr. Scorton, has said as a convener for these types of things, I think is where we can leverage um, our namesake, our privilege as, a, as an institution that's been around for 170 years. And then one more thing I'll mention is that yesterday we were able to do a closed program for our interns and fellows where we feature um, Edgardo Miranda uh, Rodriguez, who is a new, uh, well, he's a comic book um, creator. He created a new comic book called La Borinquena, which features an Afro-Puerto Rican woman as a superhero talking about Puerto Rico and all the trials and tribulations gone on for many, many years. But more recently, the attention has been given to the debt crisis. Um, and here is somebody who is using comic books as a way to tackle these issues of race and ethnicity and difference, where now you can start seeing yourself in these comic books, which really adds to the value of brown and black bodies. And so I think it's an amazing thing that we have a lot of different ways that we can go about this. And um, I'm sure there's many more that time will not give us, allow us to talk about. Oh, Omar, that was perfect, and you're, you're right. We are out of time, Brenda. Uh, Omar, again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, for your, your candor and honesty, uh, uh, exposing um, you know, your personal thoughts as well as professional thoughts. Uh, I, anyone who's listening to the show, if you need information, contact information about the uh, resources that Brenda and Omar have given, uh, just give me a uh, shout at either at MuseWrite or carol.bossard at verizon.net. I am happy to uh, share those uh, materials with you. Again, thank you very much for being on the show today. Uh, and to all of you, let's take care of ourselves and, and um, each other. Uh, this is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. We'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.